Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. So this, this week is Thanksgiving Thursday. Let, let me ask, what, what do you look forward to on Thanksgiving Day? Is that an easy question? Okay, what do you dread? <laughs> the answers to those questions are probably connected, right? <laughs> well, um, I, I was thinking about what, what to share with us today, and like Daniel said, I, I, I teach at Bushnell University, so I, I work primarily with young adults, emerging adults. Braden was an excellent student that we're very proud of who just graduated earlier this year. And in my years of doing this, one of the most frequent questions I hear from young adults usually has to do with what. They're what questions. What do I do? What do I do for a living? What do I do about relationships? Who do I marry? Where do I live? Um, I, I will summarize it in this way. What is God's will for me? That's, that's the, the question. The question I hear again and again. There are many variations to that question. But the bottom line is, what is God's will for me? People who sincerely, these are people who love Jesus. People who want to follow him. People who want to do what God wants. The question is, well, what in the world is it that God wants me to do? Can he just tell me so I can do it? Now, we don't have a lot of passages in the Bible that specifically say X is the will of God for you. But there are a few of them. So are you ready for it? Can I tell you God's will for you? Whether you're a young adult, emerging adult, middle adult, senior adult, let me tell you. God's will for you. I'll, I'll, I'll point out three, three passages, three scriptures, all from the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's clear as day. Doesn't need any explanation. Let me tell you another one. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, the context of that, that verse, it says that we should live in such a way that even those who accuse us of wrongdoing will be stopped in their tracks just by the way we live our lives. And then here's a third one, and that's where we're going to focus a little bit this morning. It's also from 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray continually. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's God's will for you. Here's God's will for me. That I rejoice always. That I pray continually. And that I give thanks in all circumstances. Now when it says, for this is God's will for you, that is a reference to all three statements that come before. And, And we're going to take a closer look at just the last part of that, where it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. Give thanks. May I point out here that there is a distinct difference between giving thanks and feeling thankful. Uh, let, let, me, let me tell you a story um, it's told by Gordon MacDonald that illustrates this. He writes about taking his three-year-old grandson, the, the kid was three years old at the time, to Chuck E. Cheese's. And after the festivities, greasy pizza and rides and all that stuff, <laughs> the boy's grandmother stalking him, buckling him into the seat, and, and she says, Now be sure to say thank you to your papa. Silence. She said again, do you hear me? Be sure you say thank you to papa. Crickets. Now, Gordon himself, at first, he ignored the backseat conversation. But then he changed his mind And he turned to the kid and said, you know, Papa enjoys doing nice things for grandchildren, especially when they say thank you. (laughs) More silence. Did you hear Papa? Uh Uh-huh. Still no thank you. Are you ignoring me? He's raising his voice now. And then he got this response. I'm thankful, Papa. I just don't want to say it. Now, giving thanks is distinct from feeling thankful. Of course, it would be best if we felt thankful and then we gave thanks, right? The truth is, many times we don't even feel thankful. But friends... It's at those specific times that we're called to give thanks. There are also times when we feel thankful, but we don't see it. I don't know about you, but it it happens to me a lot. There are times when I, I, I feel thankful, but I don't express verbally my feelings of thankfulness as often as I feel it. I I can't tell you the number of times this past week where I felt so thankful for my oldest daughter, Angel. In fact, as I I think about it, I, I can recall at least three conversations in the past couple days where 
I was expressing my thankfulness for her. And, and as I was reflecting on this message, I realized I didn't tell her. So, of course, I'm telling her in front of people she's never met before. <laughs> God knew. God knew that. That's why God says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, God could have said, be thankful in all circumstances. And, and quite frankly, friends, there are many passages where, where we're told to be thankful. One of them is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. See what it says there? It ends it by saying, be thankful. But here, where we have this imperative, this instruction, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will concerning you. So that, that's, that's not just having a thankful disposition. Yeah, the Colossians passage is talking about having a thankful disposition. The instruction is not be thankful in all circumstances, but give thanks in all circumstances. I'm not even sure if it's possible to, to be thankful, to feel thankful in every circumstance. But we're told to give thanks in every circumstance. Give thanks. Can you help me tell the person sitting next to you? Just tell them two words. Give thanks. Any response? Maybe you didn't say it loud enough. Tell them, give thanks. <laughs> well, give thanks. But then the, the statement continues, in all circumstances. In all circumstances. Um, as I think about this, I, I remember uh, a story that we see in Luke's gospel. You see, J Jesus was in the region between Samaria and Galilee, and, and as he's entering into this village, ten lepers, ten lepers come to Jesus. They keep a distance. And the interesting thing we find in that story is that one of those lepers was a Samaritan. Now, we know from Luke's gospel, as a matter of fact, that Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They, they thought they were, there was the racial and the religious dimensions of that. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. But we have this group of 10 lepers. One was a Samaritan. And I was, I was looking at that again and I realized their predicament, the fact that they were social outcasts, broke down the racial and religious barriers. They were together. As lepers, people who could not make any, they couldn't come into polite um, company. They, they had to cry out where people were, unclean, unclean. Nobody will touch them, not even their loved ones. They're, they're standing from a distance and they're crying out to Jesus. Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus says to them, well, go show yourself to the priest. Now, the, the, the context there is that in the law, 
when somebody had leprosy or some other, any other kind of skin disease that made them ritually unclean, and if at some point they were in remission or they thought that they were better, it was gone. They had to go to the priest, and the priest had to certify that it was actually gone, and there were a number of other things the priest had to do before they could come into the community. So Jesus says to them, go show yourself to the priest. Nothing had happened at that point. But to their credit, these 10 men, they left. But on their way, they suddenly discover that they had been made clean. One of them, only one, the Samaritan, returns back to Jesus. And we're told he comes back giving glory to God. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, wait, hold on. Weren't there ten men who were clean? What happened to the other nine? How is it that only one person came back to give glory to God? Jesus looks at him and says, get up. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now, obviously, 10 of them were healed. 10 of them experienced the physical healing of their bodies. But this one Samaritan had an encounter with Jesus that was different. You know, like, like those 10 lepers, we all start out the same way. We all start out as unclean before God in our sinfulness. We all need the mercy of Jesus. Like those 10 lepers, we should all respond in faith to Jesus, in faith and obedience. That's what they did. But like the one Samaritan leper, we should come back thanking and glorifying God at the feet of Jesus. But, but you know, I, I, I wonder, I ask myself, what happened? Why didn't the nine come back? Did they just move on? Or did some of them think, whoa, okay, this was going to happen anyway. I'm sure Jesus had nothing to do with it. I, I don't know. Did you hear the story of the guy who was lost, hopelessly lost in the forest, and, and he prayed and asked God to, to, to help him find his way. So he's telling this story later, uh, and, and the people who were hearing the story said, well, did God answer? Guess what he said? Oh, oh no, before he had a chance to, um, a forest guide found me and showed me the way out. <laughs> it's easy it's easy for, for followers of Jesus, actually, the very serious-minded Christians, it's easy for us to, to go blessing blind. Now stay with me. I'll, I'll give you a definition. It's kind of like nose blind. You know when they say you've gone nose blind? You, you can't smell it because you're used to it, but everybody else. Now, here's how I define blessing blind. The gradual acclimation to the blessings in one's life in which the affected person does not notice them even when others do. 
Warren Wiersbe, a Bible teacher, in one of his books, he says, one of the temptations of a maturing Christian is the danger of getting accustomed to one's blessings. And we see a classic example of this in the story of God's people, the Hebrews, in, in, in the desert, on their way from Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt for multiple generations. At some point, we find, actually, not just once, multiple times, we find them complaining. The, the reference I'm making is from Numbers 11. They're complaining, and they're saying, oh, our bodies are just wearing you. We have no appetite. All we can see is this manna and nothing else. And some of them actually began to talk about their time as slaves in Egypt. At least we had, we had garlic. It wasn't just this manna. They had become blessing blind. When we complain to God about what we wish we had, rather than give thanks for what we already have, or when all we can see is how other people are better off than we are, there's a good chance that we're going blessing blind. Have you gone blessing blind? That's a question God wants me to ask each of us, including myself this morning. What in your life do you need to thank God for? It's not a rhetorical question, friends. I'll wait. I want you to think about it. I can see some people writing. If you have something to write with, write it down. What in your life do you need to thank God for? Who in your life do you need to thank God for? Who in your life do you need to thank? Now, that passage says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And, and, and we find that prayer and thanksgiving are connected in Scripture so many times. Whenever you're praying, give thanks. And we're told to pray continually. Whenever you're praying, even if it's a prayer of desperation, find something to give thanks to God for. Uh, Paul actually talks about this in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he, he says, Be anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, now, just stay with me and see what he's saying here. He's saying when you're tempted to be anxious, you know what that means? That means you can't think of anything but the issue that is making you anxious. That 
At that point, that's when he says, don't worry, take it to God with thanksgiving. Notice again, he doesn't say with thankfulness. He says with thanksgiving. Why? Why with thanksgiving? When we have anxiety-producing circumstances or requests, here's my guess. I suspect it's because thanksgiving reminds us of the greatness and the goodness of God. I remember the story of, of David, young David, King David in the Bible. His, his father had told him to go check on his older brothers. He was the youngest of eight brothers. His father told him to go check on them out on the battlefield, right? Take this, take this roasted grain and, and 10 loaves of bread. He gave him some cheese for their, their military unit leader. And, and David gets there just as they were taking their battle formation. He's talking to his brothers, and this Goliath champion comes out taunting them. And whenever the, the soldiers of Israel saw Goliath, everybody melted. Their hearts melted in fear and they ran away. And, and the young presumptuous brat is there saying, wait, wait a minute, what's going to be done for the person that takes care of this embarrassment? His older brother was even angry with him. What gets to the king, King Saul, who, by the way, was the one who should have taken on Goliath? Because we're told earlier on in that story that he was the tallest man in Israel. He was the closest they had to a giant. And Saul sends for David, what do you mean? You're just a kid. This guy has been a warrior since he was a kid. You know what David said? He said, I was taking care of my father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took one, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep. But when they turned, when they turned to attack me, I took hold of them and struck them and killed them. This Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. While everybody else was squeaking in fear, David was remembering what God has done. He was the one person who was not scared. Not because he, he, he didn't recognize the seriousness of the situation, but because he recognized the greatness and the goodness of God. I think that's what thanksgiving does for us. When we choose to give thanks, even when we're in trouble, and, and let me point out here that that, that that verse we read, our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That's not what it says. It says give thanks in all circumstances. We experience horrible things. And some of them are simply the works of Satan. 
we experience evil. I don't believe we're supposed to be thankful for them. When you're told that your child is dying, that's not something one is thankful for. When your spouse tells you that 20 years of marriage is over, they don't love you anymore, they're in love with someone else, nobody wants to give thanks for that. And I make that observation because somebody might say, hey, you don't understand the depth of my pain. You have no idea how devastated I feel right now. I don't have it in me to feel thankful. But friends, God understands. God understands that you ha- even if all you have are the words, God understands. When the pain in your life wants to make you turn to the bottle or to drugs or to meaningless sex or to some other thing, God understands. Jesus understands because on the cross, he cried out in pain the words of the psalmist when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God understands. Yes, you can say, God, all I have is words right now. I don't understand what's going on, but I thank you. Now, in that scripture that says we shouldn't be anxious, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, we should make our requests known to God. It follows in verse 7 where it says, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we give thanks, even in the midst of our pain, God replaces the anxiety and the angst with peace. The peace is described. It says it's peace that passes understanding. It's not logical. The kind of peace that doesn't make sense. That's the work of the Holy Spirit when we give thanks, even from a place of pain. And friends, we can give thanks. We can give thanks because if you follow Jesus, can give thanks for the truth, the truth about what God has done, regardless of what has happened to you. You got fired, you can give thanks because there are some things that are true of you. I can tell you some of them. God loves you. God loves you more than you know. You are not alone. That is the truth. God is with you. That is the truth. God holds you close. Your sins are forgiven. Nothing and nobody can separate you from God's love. That is the truth. So when all that you have in you wants to focus on the pain and the trauma or whatever else is going on, what if we remember 
and place our attention and focus on God and the truth of what he has done, the truth of who God is. And if there's anybody here and you, you, you don't follow Jesus, you're not a Christian, well, what we're talking about, I can't think of a better reason why you need to turn your life to Jesus. Because regardless of what is happening around us, we can give thanks. We can give thanks. I, I, I want to close by having us take a look at a psalm, a psalm of David. Psalm 103. Now, the tone of that psalm, at the beginning, it sounds like someone's trying to convince himself to do something. I, I don't know about you, but um, from time to time, when I find myself having an inner dialogue with myself, when I'm trying to persuade myself to do something, it's typically because there's reason for me not to. In the 103rd Psalm, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's talking to his soul. You know what he follows it up with? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all his benefits. And he starts to list out the things that God has done. He forgives all your diseases. He, he, he forgives your iniquities. He heals your diseases. And he keeps going. In fact, if we read that, you can actually see the point where there seems to be a switch. I think it's, I think it's, it's right around verse 6. It feels like he's gotten to the point where he's no longer trying to convince himself. He's now in the flow. And he's talking about all that God has done. And his heart is overflowing in thanksgiving to God. Friends, can you do that today? Can you do that today? Can you give thanks to God? even from the places of pain, even from the anxiety-inducing circumstances and situations in your life. Because we're called to give thanks in all circumstances. I know Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, is, on, is on Thursday, but that, that's a holiday. Now, I like the fact that we do have a holiday because at least for many people, we'll have one, 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 one time in the year that we're reminded of something that should be going on all the time. But it's not just for this week, friends. It's a calling we have from God to give thanks. To give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, I'll, I'll like us to, let's read Psalm, Psalm 103 together. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And see here is the switch. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Now he's telling other people to bless the Lord. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Are you ready to give that? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, We invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.